0: Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber. And today, as part of the Civic and Moral Education Initiatives Dialogue Series, we're here with Sean Ginwright to discuss radically healing schools and communities, exploring activism and well-being here at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Welcome, Sean, to the show.
1: How are you doing, Matt?
0: There's a huge focus on your research in this notion of hope hope in communities, youth development, and what the role hope plays, especially in uh, in urban America. Give us a little spotlight on on
1: the importance of hope. Sure. Well, oftentimes when we think about education, we think about um, sort of curriculum, we think about pedagogy, we think about ways of supporting young people that uh, really talk around the much more core issues, which is uh, about the aspirations they have for their future, about their sense of possibilities that they have. And so when we talk about hope and when we think about schools, the question then becomes um, how do we support schools and how do we support teachers in actually building and facilitating profound amounts of hope in young people who have in many ways Um, have experienced a a profound uh, erosion of hope uh, in their communities and schools. And so my work is really about trying to understand both the, the things in neighborhoods and communities that damage and threaten the capacity of young people to hope. But I'm also interested in, particularly in the new book, Soul Rebels, and is how schools and community organizations are supporting and creating these r- really amazing opportunities th- uh, that build hope among young people.
0: So, give us a little taste of what that is, both the, the positive and the negative. What is taking away hope? Give us a snapshot, a case study, an example. Sure,
1: sure. So, you know, one of the th- one of the things that uh, that I look at is the emergence uh, the pervasiveness of violence in in communities right you can go to any chocolate city in the united states and ask young person to raise their hand about if they've lost or if they're familiar with someone who's been impacted by violence Um, uh, and and violence is oftentimes um, uh, uh, has a traumatic impact on young people right and so exposure to violence um, exposure to to teachers who don't care and I call all these things different types of trauma, really, because uh, when we talk about exposure to these, these, these environmental issues, they oftentimes don't have the kind of supports they need to heal from them. And so the environment itself is a way that erodes hope among young people when they don't actually see Um, the opportunities that were once available, for example, when I went to school, when they don't have access, all of these things have an internal impact on the capacity for young people to hope. Um, What I do see is uh, teachers, principals, community organizations, activists, who are becoming much more aware and familiar and optimistic about how they should be working with young people. So activists in Baby Hunters Point in San Francisco one of the small a small neighborhood in San Francisco that occupies the most amount of violence. We have activists who are organizing to create healing centers throughout this throughout the neighborhood. Um, in classrooms, we see young we see teachers and principals using things like contemplative practices. Um, so we see both um, organizations that are trying to create systems, that provide the kind of uh, care that young people need in schools and school districts, and so uh, this process I call radical healing. And radical healing is both transforming the systems uh, that shape young people's lives, but also uh, healing the young people who are p- impacted by those systems.
0: It seems like radical healing is something that you know it, it makes complete sense. What's preventing this from being more? scaled up? What's preventing this from being scaffolded into all communities across the country? Is it funding? Is it community organizers or teachers not knowing how to have these conversations? And then how can you and how can Soul Rebels kind of look to fill in those gaps?
1: Right. So so one of the the goals of the book Soul Rebels is really to highlight and lift up what is possible so we can look in neighborhoods and look in schools to understand how they're fostering hope and, and the consequences of hope in young people's lives. So, so one way is to sort of create a platform where people can understand both the structural issues that erode hope, but also the the, the, the ways and, the, and practices that people are using to support it. I think secondly, um, there is a lag, I think, behind what happens in neighborhoods and the and public policy. And so what we, what we generally see is uh, public policy responding to issues um, that are, you know, sometimes five, six, even 10 years, uh, 10 years old. And so we're talking about public policy largely around access, right, access to better quality schools, access to better quality teachers. Um, and right now in, in the state of California, for example, there's a much more robust conversation about, how to have how young people can have access to to um, to activism and access to healing and well-being, and and so you have organizations that are that are um, pushing the school district, uh, organizing the school district to create these kind of healing centers. One example of that is restorative justice. Um, that's that uh, people becoming more and more familiar with, right? And so I think that there are there's a There's, uh, at least in California, there's a growing understanding about the convergence of systems change and healing at the same time, and I'm hoping that the country begins to understand that convergence as well. Yeah, and
0: we're an education podcast here, and sometimes people don't necessarily make that connection between the intellect and then the heart and the soul, and it seems like this this notion of radical healing kind of combines it all and packages it quite nicely.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what radical healing says, essentially, is that we have to understand... The structural issues, you know, poor quality schools, presence of violence, exposure to trauma, um, but we also have to understand this in what happens to young people's in, inside, right? And radical healing is also, you know, there's a tendency in education for us to think about what ye- what we need to do to young people, but radical healing also is a process that focuses on what teachers need to do to themselves, and so we have to understand what are the what are the kind of issues and trauma that young that teachers bring into the classroom. How do principals think about their own uh, sense of, 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 of insecurity? And how does that lend itself to a healthy, vibrant school environment? And so radical healing is not just what we need to do to young people, but radical healing means we need to heal teachers as well. Holistically. Dr. Jinright, where can people learn more about
0: your work, your research, uh, and obviously when Soul Rebels comes out?
1: So um, my website, um has um, much of my, my writings, um, sort of who I am. Um, listing of my books, Uh, Soul Rebels will be published um, by Rutledge Press, should be coming out in the spring of 2015, and um, my website will also have an update of where I'll be speaking.
0: Mark your calendars. Spring 2015, the Civic and Moral Education Initiative proudly brings in Sean Jinright today. Dr. Sean Jinright, exploring activism and well-being through radical healing schools and communities. Thanks for being on right. the EdCast. All right, thank you. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly
1: for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.